and I phrase it like this. I'm like, who's the biggest pain in the ass you work with on shafts? And, and to a man, it's always Titleist because it's everything has to conform to a, to a rigorous standard. What is up, everybody? How you living? Welcome back. It's No Putts Given, episode Tony 107. <laughs> Who cares? We don't stop counting. Whatever. The best part of this episode is that Josh Taugi is here. Josh, nice to Great see you. you guys. It's Great who's to, Josh. Great to be here. Just so in, in, in case people don't know who Josh is. Well, Josh Taugi is the one, the only, the VP of uh, equipment marketing, all things Titleist. Yeah, all all sort of Titleist uh, golf club marketing. You can funnel all the questions right here. So you're not allowed to touch the ball, though, right? I am. I, I did. I did feed some golf balls to some of our players this morning. We're doing, um, as you can see by my exciting surrounds here. I'm actually in a storage closet at beautiful <laughs> so Dedham Country and Polo Club, just outside of Boston. Don't lie. Um, you so- snuck into Francis We Met's house, and you are hiding out in an unnamed, undisclosed location somewhere just outside the Country Club. Exactly. Well, we certainly saw the house a lot this weekend. Wait, key key storyline. Key. <laughs> yes, right across the street, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Wait, wait, obviously, great, great tournament, fun finish. You know, good drama. I think everybody likes to to enjoy that on a on a you know Father's Day weekend. Well, kind of cool. I mean, for titles too, right? I mean, not to jump into brand stuff right away, but driver and ball, right? Winners and you know, yeah, we're we're that's never a that, bad thing. That, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick uh, is, a, is an equipment-free agent, and he's he's been playing our driver for quite a while. Really, you know, he's he's seen some tremendous results. I think you guys saw the numbers, um, you know, from his strokes gained off the tee, and it's pretty dramatic, uh, and, and it's really fueling his game. And then clearly, you know, he trusts the golf ball for all of his shots, you know, to do everything he needs to at a course like the Country Club is really impressive. Yeah, it's a hard course. Tony and I found that we, <laughs> we, we, we there are a couple holes on there we didn't finish. They it was amazing. He finished every hole that fits That's back. Crazy. He, never, he, yeah. he never had to pick up. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, they works. said no. They said they said he hit seventeen out of eighteen greens on Sunday. I'm like, that's nothing. Tony and I hit all eighteen greens eventually. So <laughs> that's right. You know, it's not as impressive. That's that, in fact, that's not even true. Like, <laughs> I guess it's not. On 14, I came closer to hitting Jeremy Stone than I did the green. So well, it's fair, though. It's so, nice. Well, Jer- Jeremy Stone's here today. Um, we've got uh, the team is working on, on early looks at, at the new golf ball, the 2023 golf ball. And so they're introducing them to some of the top players in the world. And um, we're, we're actually launching Driver today. So not only is it launching just down the road at the Travelers Championship, but here this morning we've had Patrick Cantlay, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and Cam Smith come through that we fit them for their new drivers. Ooh, and we're going to, that's a great tease because I want to get into that driver here in a minute. But before we get into that, so vice president of marketing on the club side in titles, that's, you know, all joking aside, super important position. And, you know, certainly something you've worked yourself, you know, your way up to. But how did you get here? This is not a likely career path. It is not linear. Um uh, whatsoever where did you start and how did you get to where you are today 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate where I am and very, very humbled by it. And, but I will say, you know, when I run into people and they say, well, what do you do? You know, cause you guys see this, whether you're on a golf course, you're in an airplane, wherever you are, and you tell them what you, what you work on. And I've got one of those jobs where when I get done explaining what I do, people are like, that sounds awesome. And I've always got a big smile on my face. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it is awesome. It's, it's one of those kind of dream jobs where, you know, I think there's the old phrase of if you find something you love to do and that's your job, you're never going to work another day in your life. And, and I'm kind of in that, in that space. But to your point, Chris, it, it didn't come. Um, it, it wasn't the easiest journey. Uh, I've always been in branding and in marketing my entire career. I grew up in northern Minnesota. Uh, and, and certainly golf season is really short there, but I think it actually has the highest per capita of golfers in the country. Um, because during the limited season, people really enjoy getting out and, and teeing it up. And I've got an undergrad degree from Concordia college in international business. And like any good Minnesotan, my first job was working for the nation's largest John Deere dealership group. Yep. You know, you know so if anyone's got yep. questions on how to market <laughs> bulldozers and combines, I can help you out. And then uh, from there, I went back to business school, went to Notre Dame, which I know gets, gets some hate. But for me, it was a tremendous experience. Went to Notre Dame for business school, and then I started working for Procter & Gamble. And P&G does a lot of things exceptionally well, but their best thing, the thing they're most known for is brand management and building these great top-tier brands. And so I spent almost a decade there, worked across a lot of brands, um, a few pretty memorable ones uh, that people find interesting for, for a few years. I actually led the the women's shaving business for Gillette, which is Venus Razors, which is which is odd for a guy to work on, on a brand like that. And then after that, I was actually um, heading up the Old Spice brand, and that was during the times where we Tony. did these crazy, incredible commercials, you know, shirtless black guys and sharks and explosions and and all that kind of fun stuff. And believe it or not, that's actually how I pivoted into golf. So at that time, TaylorMade was looking for a VP of yeah, marketing. I mean, that's, yeah, that seems pretty natural. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> and, uh, but they were getting ready to launch a product that became Rocket Balls. And, you know, so I had a couple of headhunters reach out and say, hey, you look pretty interesting. Your resume is what they're looking for. And it looks like you're a lifelong golfer and a passionate golfer. And uh, I jumped at the chance. Um, it, was, it was a great opportunity for my family and I. Moved to Southern California. And I learned a ton at, at TaylorMade. Um, everyone always tells you, and I'm sure you guys hear this all the time, well, the golf business is just different than everything else. It's so different. And, it, you know, I'd been on all these big brands at, at P&G and I'd worked at John Deere and, and these are, these are big, massive brands and companies. And I was like, how different can it really be? But it is, it is really different. And specifically really understanding product was different. And so I learned a ton about the business. I learned a ton about product while I was at TaylorMade. And then Took a quick detour out of the golf space because I, I think I needed a little bit of a break, um, and then missed it day one. And and I was so fortunate when when this role came up at, at Titleist, and it's been just a perfect fit. I love every minute of what I get to do every day. And my team and I, you know, we we you know we, we pinch ourselves that this is really what our job is, and, and we get paid, you know, to talk to golfers about clubs, and it's uh, it's really pretty fun. So back up so, a second, Tony. Do you have a question here? I think there's something. Yeah, yeah. About. Because so Josh and I actually met when he was at, at TaylorMade and sort of uh, bonded over the lethal golf ball, so to speak, <laughs> and at least the, the name. Um, but and, and so you know, moving 
knowing you previously and then finding out you were going to Titleist and, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, the believe in your smelf guy is is going over to the most straight laced button down white coat wearing and in fact i'm a i'm a little little disappointed you don't have a white coat for us today i wish if, um, if there was one in just storage shed i would, I would put one on for you. <laughs> there <laughs> might be we don't know that there's not but yeah you know we'll look so yeah so culturally i i thought it was an odd fit at the time and and kind of and again just my perspective i guess right but observing the changes in Titleist over, I mean, what have you been there? Five years plus now? Yeah, head, that, has it been into, that long? Heading into year seven, Tony. That's insane. So to me anyway, so in that time, what? It, how has the, the culture of the Titleist, not only the club division, but the whole company changed since you've been there? Well, I, I think part of it is just understanding one of our key rules is let's follow the golfer. And it was clear the golfer was moving to platforms like this, you know, and, and spending time with my golf spy and you guys had a voice and we needed to be part of that. And in, in maybe in the past we'd say, Oh yeah, well, we're not really sure about this group or that group. So let's keep an arm's length. And my theory is you can learn a lot more about us if we invite you in and you can decide then, well, if you don't, if you don't really like what we're doing or you don't like our products, you don't like the positioning, that's fine. At least then you really know what we're about. And I think that that's been probably one of the biggest changes and one of the biggest positives is we've really invited a lot of people in and, and to really get a chance to see what goes on because we're, we're so fortunate on the, on the club side of the business where we've got, you know, 70 plus people in R and D cranking out these amazing products. And, and I, when I look back, when you say, what are some of the big things you've seen in, in my time, it's the product has just gotten so much better each and every generation. And I'm, I'm proud to have a little little part of that, uh, but we've got this great R&D engine that's really firing on all cylinders right now, and it's fueling our energy. And I, I'd say the word energy because I think that that's what marketing needs to bring. Our team is about making sure that we've got passionate golfers who work for our brand that want to show Titleist in this premium performance light and make it feel a little bit more inclusive, not standoffish. We want to invite you in. We want you to be, you know, be part of this brand. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And how is that evolution reflected in its pro- in, in products? And specifically, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but you mentioned, right, you got your guys out at TPC River yeah. Islands launching TSR on tour today. And when I look back at that, I guess what becomes, right, pre-TS product, it had a reputation, especially the metal woods, right, just short, really spinny. And my perception at kind of as those products were rolling out is that Titleist didn't have any real interest in doing anything differently in terms of how those products performed. It was, I would say maybe comfortable. So how has, how has that evolved and, and how have you been able to, as a company, kind of take those steps from, from where you were to where you are now, which, you know, in, in my estimation anyway, is, is probably one of the, the top performing drivers on the market, driver families. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I think the first part was we had to listen. And sometimes feedback isn't fun to hear. And when you work at an OEM, everybody always wants to tell you good things about your product, right? Because, I mean, maybe subconsciously they're hoping you'll, you'll give them something. <laughs> but, but they always <laughs> tell you they always tell you these really nice things about, about your product performance. 
You got you guys never had that problem yeah. with me. <laughs> <laughs> but but we had to we had to take a look at what was really going on and, and what was the, the actual feedback and reading, you know, reading messages on your form and other places helped us understand that we had a we had a driver that was perceived as slow and spinny. And when you started to break down what we were designing, what we were doing, it it was. And and the good news is our R and D team, Dan Stone was was leading our team. And, and he was like, what does it need to be? And we're like, we, we need to be high launch, low spin. We need to get back to speed. And that's really where TS came from. It was the title speed project. And I, I love the fact that our R&D team was like, great, give us that challenge. We've got a couple of years and we're going to go. And not only do we see it with TS, but then, you know, once TS came to the market, you saw our, our numbers on tour and in amateur events just skyrocket. We go from being like the, number three, almost number four brand at, at USAM in drivers to now we're comfortably number one and have been for, for years. And TSI, this huge leap forward when I think people were, were expecting maybe just a just a nudge forward, big jump forward. And now right. we think we've got something real special with TSR is going to be even a bigger yeah. leap than from TS to TSI. So the, so that- the team really has got it going. And, and we're also afforded, sorry, sorry, Chris, I stepped on here. I know I'm talking too much but no um our our <laughs> here it's got a reputation they, they've got they've got um they've got two years to work on these things and i think that that gives them the the time to make mistakes and and improve and 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 really that's what, what we're seeing in the marketplace so ts obviously like you said that's you know, for the golf nerds out there i think that's kind of the the line of demarcation right like Pre-TS, yeah, the drivers were rel- you know, comparatively slower, spinnier, which makes it really hard to fit an average golfer, even sometimes harder to fit tour players. TS, moving forward, you talked about, you know, already today, we're talking the day after, you know, U.S. Open and, and your flagship players, you know, I think you said, what, Spieth, um, you know, JT, Cantley, the crew out there already getting fit into TSR. What can you tell us? What are they seeing? Are they going to switch right away? <clears throat> like if, if, you know, TS to TSI was a jump and TSI to TSR is a, a jump and a bound, you know, something more, what are they seeing? And what could consumers maybe, what can we dangle in front of consumers? Because I know it's probably be fall, you know, whatever, when it, when, it, when it potentially is available on the retail end, but what are we seeing? What are they seeing? And why isn't there any carbon in it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to dance around part of that. Um, what, what, what they're seeing is they're seeing really good ball speed. We, when we design a driver and want to go forward, we want to get you more speed. That's the core. That's what they're looking for. We want to keep spin relatively low, but we want it to be real consistent. And I think this is really important for the best players in the world is when they get one that's a little toey or they get one that's heel, we want to make sure those spins don't radically change from what a stock shot would be for them. And that's what they're really excited about as they're starting to hit these TSR drivers. Um, from, a, from a look standpoint, we knew we had a really good-looking shape with TSI 3. So we weren't going to do anything fundamentally different on that. I think you guys were some of the first. Uh, I, I remember Harry calling it like a, a weapon, I think is what he said when he saw it the first time. And now he just couldn't wait to hit it. Uh, it's one of the three English words Harry knows, so he uses that one a lot. <laughs> nice. 
Um, well, hopefully you'll say it again because we've we've stayed in a sh shape very similar there. The new TSR2 has got an improved shape. It's it's much more classic pair shape than where most max drivers are. And again, we're seeing really good ball speed increases um, from TSI2 players to TSR2. So very much looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to getting you two guys out to Carlsbad. I think we're going to do that in a few weeks. I think we're just about locked we're in. We're just huh? about locked in. We will we will be out there with bells on. Nice. And hopefully something else, but yes. <laughs> just the bells. Just yeah. The bells. We'll have we'll have lots of ice cream for you and a hot tub. It'll be great. I love it. So no carbon in these, Josh? No. No, no carbon. Uh, no. We, we believe right now that we can achieve, you know, the best performance in the game and do it through titanium. Now we do use these really wild aerospace grade titaniums. You heard us talking about ATI four two five at the TSI launch. We've got that. Plus we've actually qualified uh, another manufacturer to be able to help us with this and it's really interesting i, I talked about our our r d guys when you give them more time so when they get an extra two years to work with these advanced materials they found some pretty neat things so i don't want to give all that away right now um but i promise that when you guys come out our, our challenge to you and to every golfer is going to be bring your gamer and uh and we'd love to have you try it against our product and we think you're gonna like it Tony, you interested? You're you're gaming TSI right now, right? I am still, and I mean that's it's it sounds almost crazy, right? Oh my god, I'm playing the same driver for for two years straight. But I, you know, I went through as I was testing this stuff this year. I mean, some stuff. I think I would make an argument that for me, I, probably Stealth Plus is a little bit longer. Um, but the just the deciding factor for me is just I hit. TSI so much straighter. Yeah. Like it's it's not suffering for distance in any in any way at all. And it just for me, it it just stays between the lines. And you know, for a guy who spent most of his life coloring well outside of those lines, like you, I just it's there's just not a trade off to be made there. Well, and I think this, too, this does something so well. Yeah, and and not to oversimplify fitting, um, you know, because there, there's certainly things you know when you talk about fitting the best players in the world and looking at spin performance and maybe spin retention or spin degradation on, on off center hits, um, you know, great way for amateurs to get fit around the drivers. Okay. So, you know, take five drivers that you hit the longest or hit the furthest. And then of those five, maybe which do you hit the straightest? Right. And so, yeah, there may be, let's say a 10 to 12 or even eight to 10 yard difference total. So let's say you're 270 to 278 total, but Within that range, if you're hitting something straighter, that's going to, you know, far more than offset any type of, you know, it, it's always interesting to get people, oh, they see seven yards, eight yards, 10 yards, difference, whatever. And then you're sitting out there on the, on the range with them or whatever. And you're like, that's the distance from me to you. And they look and they go, wow, that isn't a whole lot. I don't want to gain that and give up. I mean, if they're smart, right, I don't want to give up this, this amount of dispersion. Um, and I think that's, and that's the thing for me. It's, it's not eight, it's like two. And so yeah. it's, it's not even exactly. just like within the, the air range for weather conditions, right? Like, I mean, you know, that's, it's certainly our design. Philosophy. I mean, when, when we talk to our R and D team, it's about, Hey, when you go on a golf course, you're going to hit, you could hit 10 drivers in a round, right? Those are, those are swings you're going to have. And how many of those 10 swings are really great swings that, that puts your ball in position to score well. 
And that's our goal is that we don't want to just build you a driver that gives you kind of like that home run derby of, of you got one really good shot with it into a hitting bay. We want to give you really great consistency that's going to play well when you're on the golf course because that's how we think about our clubs. All right, so marketing, marketing wizard, Mr. Taugi, how do we, how do you you get that message to to consumers where it's speed, 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 faster? Everybody wants more speed. Again, we saw Fitzpatrick. I'm sure that stack system and and Sasha and and, and Marty yeah. and they're blowing up this week because they got a lot of well deserved praise um, for for that product, and and you saw. You know, Chris, we we, we attributed all that to TSI three, so I, I don't know if that was. <laughs> yeah. Come on, <laughs> you know it's it's possible, it's possible, but at the same time, right? The the absolutely not sexy, boring part of that story is the consistency and performance and getting your ball in play more often. And it, it seems like no consumer, I mean, consumers don't really, Hey, this is our most consistent performing driver of all time. And I'm going to sell four of them. Right. So yeah. how do you pair those messages together in a way? Because we all know that that consistency, that that part is hugely important in terms <laughs> of uh, shooting a lower score, which hopefully people want to do, but so many people do uh, to mention your phrase, play the home run derby. Right when they're getting fit, like they get one that they just absolutely bombed, and they're like, "Send me to the register, let's go." Yep. So, how from a marketing standpoint, how do you get people to really believe that and feel that in a way that translates to them walking away with with that particular product? Well, it starts with fitting, and if we can get you to go do a proper fitting with a good fitter, that's when you're going to have someone who's you know, maybe that that angel on your shoulder explaining to you that it's not just the single best longest shot because the other 10 balls you hit with that driver were all over the planet, right? So if we can get more people to go get fit, and we're consistently surprised that the number's still pretty low when you consider, you know, it's 550 bucks for a driver, 500 bucks, it's a, it's a, it's a real purchase. And whether it's our studies that we do or the studies I read that you guys do, you know, it's somewhere in that 60% of golfers have been fit for a driver, not necessarily fit for their last driver. And and that's really important. Go in, get fit. If we can get that message out, and I think that's a, this is a, you know, category-wide message. We should all be saying the same thing. But it's, yeah, does it help titles? Sure it does. Because we're going to be really fast. You're, you're not going to get beat by somebody else. But we're also, overall, going to be really straight, very playable, very forgiving. So anyways, I would, I would just ask you guys, just keep keep pushing the go get fit message. Yeah. We try. We try. It's yeah. It's, it's tough. It can't so, be. So all right, you've got now, you said seven years at Titleist. When you came in, and uh, I think there was a perception, and I, I think this perception still exists, and I know you fight against it, but I, I'd like to kind of get your take on on how you feel about it now. But it's the idea that that Titleist is a golf ball company that also makes clubs. Well, I think I think we've got so much proud heritage in golf balls. I mean, we were just the number one ball at the U.S. Open for the seventy fourth year in a row. You know, that's a that's a pretty cool thing. We haven't even sold golf clubs for seventy five years, um, let alone have that type of validation. But we are we are a golf company. You know, if you look at our at our ticker symbol, you know, it's G O L F. It's not B A L L. 
because we're we're more than just golf ball. But boy, our our role we benefit so much in the club business from having this halo of golf ball because probably one probably one X and then throw in the you know dot dash AVX the the rest of the group. I mean, they've created such a great brand and a great positioning that we just have to live up to that in our in our side um, and make sure that we're building great golf clubs and. I think we're doing that right now and, and we're growing the business. You guys see the breakdowns. I know that, that you know, Barbara, I think is usually the one who breaks down the, the earnings releases, but the club business for us continues to grow, continues to be uh, an engine to drive our total company forward. And we're really excited about that. Where's the biggest opportunity do you think on the club side? Because, and the reason I mentioned that is I don't think it's with, with wedges, you know, Vogue no. is established as, I mean, a, a, a hallmark brand, right? I mean, when you think about things, Others get compared to, right? Everybody compares balls to the Pro V1 franchise. So much of testing in in the marketplace too, right? Um, Wedges are compared to Vokey and his franchise. We talked on a couple podcasts ago around uh, the Cameron franchise, bringing in Austin Rawlinson and doing some things there, which again, Cameron is kind of its own entity and its own bar, but that kind of leaves, right? the, uh, The rest of that space. And it's like, okay, when really critical consumers look at the rest of the equipment categories, you know, they have these hallmark brands that they think of. Maybe they think of Mizuno irons or some of these Japanese forging <laughs> things. Your listeners against, sure do. against Yeah, they certainly do. And there was a time, there was a time back in the day when Tyrus <clears throat> did use Endo for, for forging yeah. its top end and products. Um <clears throat> you know, on the Metalwood side. You know, it was two years ago where 60% of all drivers sold were either Callaway or TaylorMade. So where is the biggest opportunity for you in that remaining space to say, hey, we have the hallmark putter, ball, wedge. You talk about bringing those other other brands kind of up to that bar yep. that's been set. Where's that opportunity? Well, I think, I mean, Chris, you you nailed it. You kind of answered your own question, which is we if – if we can get our irons and metals to the same position that we're in with wedges and putters, that's a really great place. Um, I would say, so let's, let's say wedges first, the number one way for us to grow a wedge business, we got to keep teaching consumers that their wedges wear out. Now, bulky wedges last, I, I believe best in class because of the heat treatment we do, but overall, you know, after 75 rounds, you're starting to have this groove degradation, right? You're losing spin. And I was looking at the, the you know, studies you guys have done, the ones that we've done, average person switches our wedge about every four and a half years. And then we look up yeah. how many rounds you play and it's 50 plus a year. <coughs> yeah. So clearly some guys at 600. Yeah. Rounds. Clearly yeah. We, we got people that are playing really worn out wedges. So that, that's an opportunity to just, again, let's help the golfer. Let's educate a little bit. Um, it's not really about, us needing to sell more wedges it's about helping golfers hit better wedge shots because they're going to spin the stopping power is going to be there and then irons you know we've we've continued to grow that business um you you mentioned the guys at endo and fushan or endo and and mizuno we continue to look at what can we do in, in irons and i think that we've we've built a really good iron franchise marty Inez leads our our development team there um, and has, has really put together, along with, with uh, J.J. Van Wiesenbeck's feedback, who heads up our PGA Tour team, we've got, we've got some stunning product coming in the years ahead that I think is going to help us continue to do that. And then finally, you know, 
driver is a big deal. Driver is a halo product. When you make a great driver, everything else about your brand gets a lift. And we know that. And that's why we focus as much as we do. And we think that TSR is going to help continue what we've seen from TS to TSI. And now as we go into TSR, continue that momentum. And uh, I've had a chance to look at where we're looking for the next three, four, five years on driver. And it's it's really cool. Very cool stuff that the team is, is working on. And I think that's that's what's making us feel bullish. So you mentioned, I mean, these products, right? And obviously the product itself is a, a huge part of, of how you grow the business and get to where you are. That's that's the stuff that the consumer sees. But you know, you this isn't Titleist isn't the first golf company you've worked with. So you you know, you're familiar yep. obviously with operations industry wide to a degree. What would you say is it that separates Titleist? You know, the stuff like if there was something that you could show every golfer that they don't see right now that says, "Hey, this is this is this is the thing about Titleist that that I would love for you to understand. What what is that? Well, thing? that's a great question. But before I answer that, Tony, I got to give you props. You saw the TSR name, maybe a year ago, eight months ago. We both did. Yep, we both you, did. You yeah. kept it quiet. Not just Good the job, name. Yeah, not just the name. Yeah. Not just the name. Not just the name. You saw the uh, TSR four. I think was maybe the the head. Um, but that is a hundred percent correct. Some unfinished three. Yeah, but when <laughs> when I you know earlier. I was chatting about like, we want to invite people in. We want to give people a look at how do we do things and what do we make? And so Tony, I would, I'll answer the question you posed to me, but then I want you to reflect on it too, because you've had a chance to see what we do. I think what separates Titleist from a club standpoint versus our competitors is, you know, I mentioned the two-year product lifecycle that enables us to do a lot of things, but I think the biggest one is attention (coughs) to detail and every little thing gets scrutinized. The look of the club, the feel of the club. I mean, we've got, you know, Dr. Chuck Golden, who's a seismologist uh, by education, because when you look at... He doesn't exist. Exactly. When you look at earthquakes, they they put off the same type of wave that you would see from golf club impact. And we're just looking at those little details in every area. And, and I was just over, I was at the Scotty Cameron studio last week with a group of our international uh, partners. And... Scotty was in his element. He was milling putters and showing us how the differences are between the types of milling that he does and showing us how he finishes putters. And the attention to detail is just exquisite. I mean, it was so impressive. Um, and I see the same thing with, with Aaron Dill and Kevin Sissisra on, on the wedge team, um, that at every level, that the teams are really looking at things differently than we have before. And then you guys have been on the tour with Brian Lamb to see how we build clubs. And I'd love to get your insights as to what did you see with how we assemble clubs versus others? You know, the, the assembly piece is interesting because you guys, I mean, the technology you have there for things like adjusting lie angles to the point where you, you have mold specific heads yeah. for, for every club you make so that you can make precise lie angle adjustments. I mean, that stuff is, you know, what I tell people is, I'm I'm a big fan of doing my own club work. Like I I like to build my own stuff and having been through a lot of facilities, I felt like for the most part I can do what what everybody else can do. And then I walk through your facility, I'm like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> like if I need I don't I don't have that machine. I don't have anything like that machine. Um but for me, I think the the one thing that that stands out is the way you scrutinize product from your suppliers. Yeah. 
Um, that was to me, and we, you know, you have you have a guy Don Bone right, yep. who qualifies every shaft that you guys put into a stock lineup or or even offer as an as an upgrade. You've got that machine back there that that basically cooks grips to simulate a, what is it a year's worth of yeah. wear. Both in and, UV and light, is, we've got you know, I kind of look at it as all this, of those things we test for. It's really cool, and it's right, and it's it's it's. A very simple understanding in my mind, this idea of like, yeah, all right, the club says Titleist, right? When, when I buy a golf club, I buy a Titleist, I buy a TaylorMade, whatever, right? That That's what I buy, especially if I'm buying off the rack or, or fit from stock. I don't buy a Titleist golf club and a Project X sta- shaft and a Lambkin grip. These aren't these aren't separate things, even though they, they very are obviously separate things. It, it's still all part of a Titleist golf club. And so... You know, that bit of understanding, like it is your name that is on that club. And so everything that is a part of that has to meet that, meet a standard is impressive. And so when I see things like the way you guys test shafts and you tell me, hey, you know, we're, we're extremely rigorous in what we do. And then I'm able to call a couple guys who work for shaft companies that I know and say, hey, who's, who's, and I phrase it like this. I'm like, who's the biggest pain in you, in the ass you work with? On shafts and, and to a man, it's always Titleist because it's everything has to conform to a to a rigorous standard. And seeing that, like I'll I'll look now, right? You guys got the machine where you just pile the the basically dump sand pellets yeah. on a shaft to see if the paint wears off. Huh? And you see that, right? It basically simulates that point where the where the shaft rubs against the bag. Like that's where you see it. And so now I've I've started to look around at people's bags when I see that. I'm like, yeah, that would never happen if it was this was if this shaft was attached to a Titleist club, that would have never gotten through. So it's that little thing. And and the thing where you, you know, you, you sample all of the all of the product from your suppliers and, and basically QA check it on your end before you put it into anything. I mean, I just I've never seen that anywhere else, certainly not at the level and then kind of that the side piece that, that makes me laugh is like, hey, if, if this stuff is out of spec and you have to recheck, you bill your suppliers for that. Oh yeah. And that's to me is like that's that's it's insane. But it's like, hey, you bought something, they didn't deliver it, you had to do extra work right. to make sure that it is what it's supposed to be. Somebody else should have to pay for that. But it's it's all these little things and it's it's similar on the golf ball side, maybe to even more of an extreme where it is like a million little things that go into it to to say, hey, yeah, this, you know, this we put our name on this. And so it, it has to meet a certain standard. I love analogies. And, and that made me think of another one where I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to do this. And, and I might now because there's precedent for it with Tony mentioning, you know, billing the suppliers for the additional time you had to put in because they did a, a shit job or whatever is like uh, my wife went to a doctor's appointment last week. It was a 15 minute appointment, but they had gotten backed up. Some things had happened and it took about an hour longer than it, than it should have. Right. And had you been an hour late for your appointment, they would have canceled it or billed you appropriately, right? So I told her, send your doctor a bill for an hour's worth of your time. They wasted an hour of your day. What would your current rate be if you were consulting or whatever? Send them a bill for that amount because that's the amount of time that you wasted. And I, just that line of thinking, right? Some people might call it you know, presumptuous or whatever the case is, but Chris, I, I just want to interrupt you, you know, for a second. I, I'm going to take, this is a dangerous precedent that you're setting because if I did that with my wife, <laughs> she would be billing me all the time for wasting her. <laughs> right. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You're yeah. That that there, there's a like a marital disclosure clause yeah. where it doesn't exist in that realm or something because right. We, I think we'd all be screwed. Um, but I'll take what Tony said and, and kind of even go a step further. I like to work on my own clubs as well um, for a lot of those those same reasons. And you know, people have this idea that a lot of these boutique club fitters are the creme de la creme, right? Like the absolute top. Hey, if I want this type of treatment, I go through a fitting at a club champion or TXG or, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. Um, and I, I would have a real question around whether they can provide the same level of spec tolerance that title is can in its build process. And, and I'm going to make this argument is, your fitting is only as good as the build process because you can have a perfect Correct. fit. And then if you're out of spec on the tolerance around the build side, then your fitting isn't worth shit. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Unless you can get that build exactly to what you were fit for, right? And so if I'm going through – Or, or, or the, okay, the tolerances for, are plus minus half a degree, then that that doesn't work. Right. right? Our, we go to – that, you know, we go to an eighth of a degree, not not the industry standard, which is half a degree to a degree. I mean, it's a it's a very very tight process that we run. Yeah, and even if you have a digital loft live machine for Mitchell, their tolerance is plus or minus a quarter degree on the digital reading, yep. right? So your tolerance is uh, that again in half, and so uh, it, it's just interesting to me. People, you know, this idea that you can get a better build by going to a custom right type of, of build location or build facility. I think I would have to challenge that and say, I'm not sure that you can, when you can see, you know, Tony, like you mentioned the, you know, having loft lie mold specific to the head, because, you know, when you put in an M grind wedge or an L grind wedge or an S grind or whatever it is, or T two hundred versus exactly T- right? It's it's a different club, and you know, I and even a T two hundred six iron versus a T two hundred seven iron, like this, right? It's all a different thing. It's all a different thing, and I I know I'll throw Mizuno out there too. I know that they one thing I learned a while ago that I liked that they did was. You know, they do the loft lie adjustment first and then cut to length, right? And some some places will will do it just the opposite. And you can actually again, you're talking maybe a sixteenth of an inch or a thirty second of an inch, but if you want to really make the argument that you have the most precise approach or you know, titles doesn't talk about spec tolerances as much as I, hey, the, the spec is the spec. Like the tolerance is the spec, you know, and we get nothing is perfect a hundred percent of the time because it's, it it can't be, but it isn't like, Hey, we're plus or minus this. It's no, we are going this, uh, the desired spec is the tolerance. And we understand that, that, that can't be that way a hundred percent of the time. So I, I think, and and that's not a knock. I'm not trying to knock club champion or or these other places. I'm not not saying that those aren't good. They do a fantastic job. Um, but this idea that you can't order directly through an OEM and get the same level of spec tolerance is just nonsense because in some, in some situations it's actually going to be better. Yeah. Going I can't through speak to, OEM to the other OEMs, but I can speak to ours, which I believe we've got the best 
process and the tightest tolerances out there. When I was on a tour the other day with, with this group, same group that we took over to see this, the Scotty's team, they were, they were bending and we were showing this team like how we bend for loft and lie. And this young lady was, was bending lie angle and she needed to get to 63 degrees. And she, you know, we looked at her readout and she was averaging 62.98. And so you're just like, okay, one, it's really cool that we measure to the hundredth decimal point. And two, she's crushing it, right? Just perfect every single time of like, this thing's leaving in spec. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the machinery is just like, yeah, I want, I want all of this in my basement. Like, this is what I want. Yeah, the team really loves building their own machines because that's what usually happens is we realize that there's not a third party machine. And so we've got this great engineering group that just comes up and they're like, okay, well, we could build that. And, you know, they, they do it. And then it really, you know, gives us that advantage in the marketplace. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting exercise for people to do. I did this. A couple of years ago where we were talking about, you know, Tony's pain in the ass question, like, hey, you know, <laughs> who's the biggest pain in the ass in the industry to work with on the tolerance side? And, and um, you know, you go through the Titleist website. And if you don't see, if you're like, hey, is this shaft any good or is this grip any good or whatever? And you don't see it as an option, right? If you don't see it as an upcharge or you don't see it as an option through Titleist, you can make an argument and say, well then there's something that's wrong with it for yeah. a, from a quality standpoint or a durability standpoint. So maybe best to steer clear of that one. It's a, it's not the worst barometer for sure. And uh, once again, I got to apologize for my terrible voice. The new England um, pollen count seems to have wiped out my throat. Uh, Southern California boys. Yeah, I know native Minnesotan and I have gone soft. I, I fully admit it. <laughs> It happens. I'm jealous. So uh, yeah. you're yeah. jealous. You you wish you had allergies, Tony. Right now, is that what you're jealous of? Southern California. Oh, you were in Southern California. You're always yeah. welcome. That's fair. You guys can come anytime. You got a free pass. All right. All right. Here's big, big, important question for you, Josh. Okay. Speed round. Speed round. Best breakfast cereal. Oh God, I love breakfast cereal. Okay, so uh, <coughs> I know because I'm going to throw some other ones at you. And do you're going to go do thumbs up, thumbs down. Just, no, no, no. I got a list of questions. No, no. I mean, but only what's one your breakfast favorite? cereal. For right okay, now, yes. Uh, Reese's. Reese's mm, uh, okay. peanut butter puffs, I think they call them, are spectacular. Okay. So as a kid, what do you remember? Like, let's do some throwbacks. Do you remember Raisin Nut Brand? Oh, yeah. Two thumbs down for me. Two thumbs down on the Raisin Nut yeah, Brand? It, Why? Because it instantly turns to mush. Right. You can put, I mean, like a tablespoon into a bowl with milk. And if you don't eat it all in your first bite, it's mushy. So that is a, that's a two thumbs down for me. My favorite cereal as a kid was Count Chocula. So, I mean, if you really do start your day with just tons of sugar and chocolate, that's your go-to. Don't get me started. You need the uh, the Christmas va- vacation. What was it? The non nutritive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the food preservatives. Semi-osmotic, non, non-permeable. Yeah. They've ruined and and as you guys know, I'm I'm fairly high energy all the time. So imagine just being super sugared in the morning. What that would imagine your parents hating you. Well, they they bought on Count Chocula. Well, yeah. So I'm a little surprised they let you have sugar cereal. So what else? What else was in your pantry as a kid? Then Lucky Charms. Love Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms is top five for me. I also uh, me too. 
really enjoy Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, that'll properly get mm. you buzzing in the morning. I have that one up there yeah. right now. What? Okay, so you're obviously a big sugar cereal fan. We've established that. What's your favorite healthy choice? Are you a Special K guy, Grape Nuts guy? If you got to eat one that's healthier, are you going to – what are you going to dig into? Uh, like a plate of bacon instead of – I'm not, I'm not going to go to a non-sugary cereal. I'm strictly sugar. There's no chance. Like – Cheerios, what about honey nut no Cheerios? good. What about honey nut Cheerios? Uh, this, is it is passable? I mean, that's in. I, I would eat honey nut Cheerios. Passable, but I think that those okay, but not regular Cheerios. Regular Cheerios is terrible. Terrible. Regular Cheerios out. Rice Krispies, I got to think, are out. Only if you put sugar on. Door. In the Rice Krispie treat. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that's, that's you fair. Just gotta, you just got to top yeah, off your. Which bowl is exactly what we did when we were kids. And I look back on that and I'm like, yeah. how is this a better plan? That we would just take a big tablespoon and dump it <laughs> sugar on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love Tony. What's your favorite? Oh man, you know I've, I'm still. I was a big booberry mm. guy. Ooh, the booberry. But yeah. like all the monster cereals had been ruined by lack of. Yeah, they wrecked them. They like they reformulated a, the monster it's cereal. It's an abomination. Kind of when thing. they went to the seasonal variety. I think Tony and I have talked about this. When they went yeah. to the seasonal variety, the the quality yeah. of cereal went down. Which is why Count Chocolate is no longer my number one. Classic. What, and so <coughs> number one, just to be clear, across the board, the best breakfast cereal in the world. Reese's Puffs. The Puffs. Yeah, yeah the Reese's uh, Peanut Reese's Butter Puffs, Puffs is just spectacular. With uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch coming in number two. Uh, cookie Crisp, by the way, small chocolate chip cookies as breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. Good, solid number three. Lucky Charms in at four. And then it's kind of a toss-up of what I'm feeling for five. There's a lot of... A lot of really good uh, elements out there. Whole world of Captain Crunch that can fight for number five. Ooh. Ooh. A lot of right. Ooh. I I always remember the commercial where the guy was like, Kauki Crisp. <laughs> and I would get That's that thing true. like going <laughs> through my head. I used to, uh, we didn't, see as a kid, we didn't get sugar cereal unless it was on vacation. <clears throat> and that was the big deal. So we had the worst of the worst generic <sighs> Cheerios. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Was it in a bag? Ugh. It was in a bag. And uh, it was like uh, bottom shelf stuff, right? Like yeah. store brand, Ugh. bottom shelf, yep. bulk. Which yeah. took a huge turn for the positive because I, I would, as you know, went to school in, in St. Uh, Olaf College in, in Northfield, Minnesota, home of Malto Meal. And um, we uh, we would get bags of stuff in, in the cafeteria, limited releases and, and whatnot that were. Uh, very impressive, but I have to think, Tony, top five. Can you go with the top five? Man, I could. I mean, I would start if we're if we're talking old school before they ruined it. Mm-hmm. You know, you could run me through the monster cereals. Like it would be, you know, Booberry, Count Chocula, Frankenberry. Good right there. Ooh, Frankenberry. Think again before they ruined it. Classic Fruit Loops. Yeah, very good. Okay, just could not go wrong with a with a classic Fruit Loop, and then. You know, kind of again lost a little bit, but um, to to modernization. But tricks, yeah. What about kicks? I used to love kicks. Kid tested mother. Yeah, they were approved. like flavorless tricks. Yeah, too that's healthy. all that was. Too yeah. healthy. Too healthy. I didn't get flavorless balls. That's all. All right, here's another one in my top five because Josh, I I feel yours in there. But coming in for me at a solid number two, frosted flakes. Oh, I like frosted flakes. That's probably in like this six to seven range for me. I like Frosted Flakes. Yeah. Yeah. What about Life? No. 
little cinnamon nope. in there. Wrong. No, I'll be not again. a chance. What are you gonna throw at me next? Checks? No grape nuts. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. I I actually really enjoyed raising up cornflakes. Would you would you like a, a cornflake? Only with only with sugar. shredded Same meat. Come on, Chris. Oh, you know they only taste good if you oh. just dump the sugar on there. What about what about where you got the wheat on one side, but you got the sugar coating on the that other? That counts as sugary. Frosted mini wheats. Sugar. No. Frosted mini wheats. Those oh, are yeah, pretty, those good. pretty good. All right. I should have named that as my healthy, but it's not really healthy. Well, it is. It, yeah. Any cross brand opportunities between Titleist and Sugar Cereals? Can you can we see a collab here anytime in the future? Well, hopefully think? the people at General Mills are listening, and we'll we'll figure something out. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna before we go. I'm bringing this back because this this just popped into my head. We're bringing this back to where we to the focus here. So, TSR, yes, sir. new driver, Metal Woods family. What does the R? Well, What's I got, the R for? You, you gotta wait till you come see us. We can't give that away today. Come on, come on man. You're gonna Tony. You Tony, you're gonna have to write like we, you're gonna want to write like <laughs> a thousand words on what the R means. You're gonna go deep on this. You know how you are. I know. I've got. All right, let's I've finish got, up then with this. Let's take a guess, Tony. You and I will take a guess, and I got one last question for Mr. Talgy. We'll wrap it up. What do you think the R is for, Tony? Boy, I, I had a list of like 20 things because it's like you can re just re oh, anything, nice. right? Look at you. Retweet. So, yeah. You, so you can like, there are lots of ways. Really, really fast. I don't see title as. I don't see. Yeah. So you could like reload. Really, really good. Reinvigorated. Yeah. I'm really, <laughs> really good looking. <laughs> It's the really good, yeah. The R for really good, uh, yeah. I like, I kind of liked reloaded, but who knows? Josh, Josh may not even know. That's the joke here is that you know, it's just gonna make it up as he goes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm literally just asking you guys what it should stand for. That's what <laughs> yeah. what's the I? What's the I stand for? People may not know. The I stood for a lot of different things. There was, there was inertia, innovation, See, but it was it, mostly about exactly. impact because at that moment of impact, that moment of truth. That's really where you saw the you know the ATI material really stand out. So I was for impact was the main one. Mm -hmm. So this could be like for resonate or re-engineered or see lots of re's. Probably not radial geometry. I'm gonna skip that yeah. one. Feel free to skip that. Um, although I kind I don't hate that one. Um, We'll have to see. Maybe maybe that's the question. Post it post it in the comments. What do you think the R does or in this case should <laughs> because apparently it hasn't been decided yet. What should what should it stand for uh, moving forward? Last question, Josh. Any chance that that Titles is going to come out and, and work with Endo or uh, Mayur or somebody moving forward on a higher end forged uh, iron oh. in the future? Or are we solidly yeah, we where we're going to be? We have this really cool or, project that we're we're just calling Project Feel that we're working on with uh, different types of forgings. And you've seen some of these actually make their way into some bags. So Adam Scott was playing these 681.as. Justin Thomas, who I just saw 20 minutes ago, uh -huh. loves his 621.jt irons. Um, and I've got a set of those for you guys to hit when you come visit us. But let's spend some time. When you come to Carlsbad, let's make sure we show you what we're looking at with the different types of forgings and milling that we're, that we're working on. Because I think, I think you'll be really impressed. That. That got me all excited in, in a very special way. So neat. Just uh, well, 
okay? Just leave it. You know? And on that note, everybody, thank you for being with us. Find us, follow us on the interwebs, Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C, Titleist, Josh Taugi. He's out there. If you have comments, questions, feedback for Titleist, please tag him directly in those yeah, lots no, of comments. No, no comments about the, the loves rumor in here, please. Nothing about, like, why is this guy locked in a closet? <laughs> it was the only thing I could find. <laughs> like we said we're pretty sure you just snuck in france to that's <laughs> house and and who knows but on that note great chat with you we out Bye.